welcome back to the Gray Malkin Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1970s. Uh, we are here for my favorite episode, which we get to record every month. We put the focus on one particular character, review their entire history, and put them on trial. And today is my favorite Marvel villain, Dr. Carl Lycos, the incredible Sauron. Oh, da, da, da. Derek Kunskin's here, so I'm sure we're going to pronounce that name like Sauron. How, how do you say it, Derek? I call him Sauron. Sauron. See, I knew you would have something unique. Derek's from Canada. Maybe British. (laughs) (laughs) We are thrilled to have Derek, uh, 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 Justin Wilder here. Not Alicia this time. Noel Reed's with us. Uh, Returning guest, Ray Arzano. And then we are thrilled to welcome a new podcast friend, Miguel, here today. I'll let everybody introduce themselves in just a moment. Uh, First, let's talk about Sauron for just a minute. For thousands of years, men have mythologized the idea of a half-man, half-something-else monster. Think of the centaur, the harpy, the mermaid, the satyr, the siren, the minotaur, the sphinx, and so many more. And then we have the thousands of stories about men turning into monsters, from Jekyll and Hyde to Banner and Hulk. There's something so frightening about the human-influenced monster in front of us, something that stirs fear in our minds as we sleep, having nightmares about what we or those around us could become. One of Marvel's earliest characters is the Hulk, and the design of the man becoming monster continued into characters like the Lizard, the Abomination, the Green Goblin, Morbius, the Living Vampire, Stegron, the Dinosaur Man, and my favorite, Sauron. Except he's a pterodactyl man, dun dun dun! Uh, So today we are here for the trial of Dr. Carl Lycos. Uh, Note, I recently learned in my interview with Roy Thomas, which has not been released at the time that we uh, are recording this, that he chose the name Lycos because it reminded him of werewolves, lycanthrope, right? So uh, that's where the name Lycos comes from, which is fascinating. Uh, So before we start with the trial, we're going to get to know our jury members. Uh, As you each introduce yourselves, let us know your gender pronouns, where we might know you from, and uh, what is your favorite Sauron story, or what do you love most about Sauron? Uh, let's begin with my friend, Noelle Reed. Hi, Noelle. Hi, I'm Noelle, she, her. Um, probably know me from a lot of Trials and the X-Men Unraveled podcast. Um, as far as Sauron, my favorite thing about him is still, because I just learned this last year um, when I was watching a X-Men animated episode with Sauron for another podcast, That's when I learned that his name, like he named himself after Sauron from Tolkien, which continues to be my favorite thing about him because I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. (laughs) Fun fact, and uh, when I, again, I'm going to reference the Roy Thomas interview like four times because it just happened. Uh, There's only one other character Roy Thomas mentioned that he named after a Lord of the Rings character. Anyone have any ideas? It's not at the tip of your tongue, likely. Uh, The Black Mm. Knights. Oh, Oh, go ahead. Uh, Aragorn the horse. Yeah, yeah, it's a Black Knight. Yeah, yeah, okay. He's like, those are the only two. (laughs) That should have been a trivia question. That should have been, except I didn't have it complete at the time we did our (laughs) Jeopardy game. Uh, Let's go to Derek next. Hi, Derek. Hi, uh, I'm Derek Hehem. I'm a science fiction writer, and people may know me from uh, books like The Quantum Magician or The House of Sticks. Um, I, uh, my favorite Sauron story is, uh, the Claremont Byrne stuff in X-Men, uh, 114 and 115. It's, it, like, A, the quality is superb, but B, it's also some of the earliest comics I ever bought that I went to a comic book shop and I was spending like three or four dollars for them, which was like an enormous amount of money when I was a little kid. 
And uh, I had to do that on a trip to Toronto from my little village that I grew up in in Ontario. So like there's there's all that adventure behind it too. So so yeah, big uh, big meaning for that for me. Uh, that's also the story that made Dr. Carl Lako super hot for the first time. <laughs> Uh, you may also know Derek as the winner of Silver Age X-Men Jeopardy recently on this very show. Derek, how are you feeling post-victory? I'm still, uh, it's still settling. I, uh, I'm i am not feeling that my life has changed very much. My fiance is not making a big enough deal about it, I think, but we'll, uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we'll go to my friend Justin Wilder next. Hi, Justin. Hey, hey. Hey, Chad. Hey, everyone. Glad to be here. Justin, he, him. You would know me from previous trials and the ex-wife podcast that I co-host with my wife, Alicia. Uh, and I just, I love Sauron. Every trial, if I have one, I try to like break out the action figure that is that character we're putting on trial. And this is by far one of my favorite action figures because he's just a giant pterodactyl and he's a were pterodactyl. And like, I love X-Men. When I was a kid, I loved dinosaurs. To blend those together, yeah. Uh, it's ironic that my favorite Sauron stories are two of the ones that have been listed previously. Derek, the one that you called out from Uncanny, and Noel, the animated series. I just, I loved uh, what that the battle between him and the team. It's just so ridiculous and so awesome. Uh, permission to just call him a weridactyl for the rest of the... Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. That's a gorgeous toy. I kind of want it. Uh, then let's go to uh, my, my friend Ray Arzano. Ray, it's so good to see you. How are you? It's great to be back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, tell us about yourself, gender pronouns. What's your favorite Sauron story? So Ray Arzano, he, him. And I don't know if I have a favorite Sauron story. He's a, he's always been like a, a campy villain to me because he's just he's another one of those green guys in shredded purple pants. Like, it's just, he's uh, he's mean, or he's the innocent man. Like, there's so much back and forth. And that's, I guess that's the charm of him, is the classic Jekyll and Hyde-ish situation. So other than that, I mean, there's the hypnosis thing, which is a little creepy. So there's weird things about him. Especially, like, when it comes to, I do comic cons and, you know, interact with a lot of people in terms of, like, what they like to see in these characters. And I've gotten some odd requests for hypnotic, situations with Sauron and <laughs> I can't can't do those can't do those <laughs> uh, you guys may know Ray from uh being one half of Rage Gear Studios they've been uh he and his friend Eric have been on my show previously it's uh it's great to have you here man and then I'm thrilled to welcome my new friend Miguel Morales hi Miguel hello how are you good how are you I am doing well excited to be here uh so my name is uh Miguel Morales uh pronouns are he him and I am just, I am a comic book geek who's excited to be here for the first time. What's your favorite Sauron story? Uh, I would say it's probably his intro story. Um, and it probably has more to do with Neil Adams than it has anything to do with Sauron. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, he's an interesting character. He's just, uh, I, he hasn't had the focus that a lot of other characters has. And so he doesn't have the depth that characters like Magneto um, have, so. There, uh, finally, I'll, I'll save my commentary. Finally, my name is Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. You know me from this show. I, uh, I've i always loved Sauron. I think my first introduction to Sauron as a reader was his uh, Rob Leifeld, like Brotherhood of Evil Mutants arc. And there was something just insane about this, like ranting villain 
who was pretty savage. Like when he slices through Cannonball's abdomen and like uh, that, that image of like Cable dumping his body in front of the Morlocks. Like, geez. And then uh, right after that, it was X-Men Unlimited number six, where he's got that gorgeous arc across the cover. Then the animated series I remember seeing. Uh, like there's just something about a pterodactyl man that's wonderful. But uh, that word camp comes up for me often. Now, Soran's got a lot of real estate on my show recently. We've covered his initial appearances in depth and have talked a lot about him. Uh, he was created during a time when Roy Adams and Roy Adams, Roy Thomas and Neil Adams were not getting along very well personally, but really thriving professionally is kind of the way I could summarize that. And uh, I think they were kind of initially basing him off of Man Bat. Uh, you know, the, the Batman villain that's like the reverse. He's like the bat guy with wings. And I think they were trying to do something that, and then they made him a pterodactyl. So why not? <laughs> this is, he's, just, he's just such a random X-Men villain. Uh, he's he's a, a ton of fun. Uh, so I'm really excited to delve in with, uh, with all of you today. After reading Sauron's whole publication history, I not only love him, and uh, back when I worked on the handbooks and on the appendix site, this is a character that I profiled extensively. So it was a joy to revisit his appearances all the way through his modern stuff in X-Men Green. Uh, but I sat with this character and really gave him a lot of thought and realized he has a ton of potential as a character. There's a lot about him that I want to explore as a writer and a lot that I want to see as a fan. Uh, he's, a, he's a lot of fun. Uh, just kind of an initial early question for each of you. What was it like to tackle these appearances of Sauron from different eras of his publication history? Was this a, was this a fun project for everybody? It was super fun for me just because a lot of the stories that were in my section, I had not read the titles themselves. So it was like getting a little sampling with a character that I really enjoy and, and just seeing him pop up in all these random places and just be as crazy and badass as I know and love him to be. So uh, to just have these little flavors around. Yeah, the whole 90s collection that I got was, that was a nice trek to the past. Like that was pretty awesome. Books that I never got a chance to read, like, Sleepwalker and Darkhawk and I mean I was just always focused on the X guys and it was interesting to, to get to know those guys a little bit to see Brett Blevins again and Mike Mignola and it's just it was a lot of great people working during those times. It's always fun on these trials to just either because you always bring up these characters that you see pop up you know they always pop up mm -hmm. but you don't spend a lot of time on them unless you at least I don't, unless I'm doing something like this. Um, so it's just fun to like spend more time, see like the different dynamics all together instead of like, oh, here's Sauron. Oh, there he is again. Sauron's kind of an alarmingly consistent character when you take him across the decades. I mean, his motivations might change a little bit, but he's he's just kind of the power mad pterodactyl guy <laughs> pretty, pretty consistently with the trope of they add a new superpower every 10 years. We'll talk about that in a little while. There's always like, it's like become the running joke to give him some sort of new insane power, uh, which is which is really delightful in its way. Uh, uh, Derek and Miguel, did you guys have fun delving into uh, in Sauron's history? Yeah, it's it's like the thing is, I'll read comics like in chronological order, sort of, or in story order. Like if I go back and read um, like Hidden Years or something, and so reading just a character and their appearances is entirely a different axis along which to follow a story. And and yeah, you're going back to some beloved stories, and 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 it's it's something, and and yeah, no, it was a it was a ton of fun to to do it this way because I've never focused on him that way. Yeah, 
Yeah, for me, it was interesting because I feel like my stories kind of really go the range, like from escaped convict to like mind possessed to like super campy professor of <laughs> mad science. Uh, so that was that was fun to see, like the range of Sauron. I think I think too that like Marvel comics. I, I, they allow a big range of tone. So you can have funny comics, you can have campy comics that'll just lean into the camp, for example. And, you know, the the stuff that I, you know, my early section was all taken straight up. Like there was no joking. It was just, this is what he is. And, you know, and yes, he loves evil and stuff like that. And it was, so, so the, it's, it's interesting to see that the, the sort of allowances for tone as you go through the decades as well. Uh, we're recording this on March 5th. On March 6th, I'm releasing the big finale episode of my season one show, if we're calling it that, but X-Men 66 and Jordan White's the guest. And I asked him, what is Sauron? And he's like, we've debated about it on the X-Slack. He's not a mutant. I don't know what he is. <laughs> we're, we're, we're never quite sure what happened to this guy or, or what really turned him into this, but it's, uh, it's kind of delightful even just taking that. Uh, so let's begin with Sauron's origins. Paralaikos grew up with his father, an ex-sailor turned explorer's guide, and he was obsessed, Carl was obsessed with the Lord of the Rings books as a youth, in which the main villain is Sauron, the great evil which threatens to wipe out all life, represented by a huge fiery floating eyeball that can see all. The rich man, Er Anderson, Er like uh, Mr. in German, H-E-R-R, -R, Er Anderson hired Mr. Lycos to be his guide in the mountains of Tierra del Fuego, but the land of fire at the southern tip of South America, which is a real place and probably the closest to Antarctica <laughs> and thus the savage land, if you consider land masses. Anderson brought along his young daughter, Tanya, on the expedition, while Lycos brought his son, Carl. As they forged the snowy mountains, they came across pteranodons that tried taking Tanya. Carl killed one of them, but he was scratched by one of the beasts and left in a feverish state, soon learning that he needed to drain life from others to survive. The first time it was a dog. After Carl's father died, he was raised by Air Anderson and spent his life loving Tanya as she grew, which kind of makes her his stepsister, but not legally. But also, it's a little like Nightcrawler and Amanda Sefton. You just got to let it be what it is. Uh, Air Anderson disapproved of Carl as Tanya's suitor, unless he could make a fortune first. So Carl put himself through medical school. He got a job as a psychiatrist, and he built a machine that would allow him to drain energy from his patients, prolonging his old life. We get a couple images of patients leaving his office like, oh, I'm so tired, but I still feel so refreshed, which is not what I do as a therapist. <laughs> he also worked with Charles Xavier, Carl did, and Moira McTaggart, who were recruiting young mutants at the time. And he started wondering if draining mutant energy might stop him from hungering. The project they worked on together was called the Mutant Genome Project. And this is only briefly mentioned in X-Men Forever by Fabian Icieza. There is a lot to explore here that we do not know about this background. The nature of this relationship, Carl knowing Charles and Moira, uh, or their real connections is unrevealed. And in my opinion, one of the biggest unexplained or unexplored X-Men mysteries, along with whatever happened to Magda and all that stuff at Alamogordo. God, I would love to write these stories. Okay, so for years, Carl Lycos worked as a psychiatrist, draining the life forces from his patients to stay alive. When Alex Summers, or Havoc, was wounded, he was brought to Lycos, whose name the X-Men discovered in Xavier's files. 
Lycos drained dangerous cosmic mutant energies off of Havoc. And this time, Lycos transformed. And a split personality, much like the Hulk or the Green Goblin or Mr. Hyde, emerged. And he transformed. He dramatically narrated as he changed into a pterodactyl man. Quote, the pain of surging muscles where once there were none, fierce talons of pain that scrape my back, bringing forth leathery wings, my body, my face, my very soul. They are changed, transformed, filled with a bursting, billowing power, power for good or power for evil. And I choose evil, an evil so great, so monumental that only one name in all the annals of literature will contain it the name of Tolkien's ultimate villain, that dark lord who personified evil, who was truly evil incarnate, the name of Sauron. When Carl changed to Sauron for the first time, <laughs> he nearly killed Air Anderson, but instead he flew away, the Lycos side taking over, and he was willing to starve himself rather than cause Tanya pain. After a series of battles with the X-Men, Tanya ended up fighting Sor finding Sauron and he was worried that he might drain her life against his own will, so he dramatically jumped to his own seeming death. In Lycos's first appearances, there's a lot of room given to explore his dramatic backstory and kind of this division between Carl and Sauron, which seem to be different aspects of his personality. Lycos is meant to be seen as his good noble side and Sauron as the dark evil within him. So let's discuss for a minute Sauron's wild origin story. What are your thoughts or observations as we take it this far? Go ahead, Derek. So, so dramatic, but like, that's the way Roy Thomas wrote, right? So like it's, and the other thing is, I mean, you see Roy Thomas's influence, like when in other places too, like obviously he also read Lovecraft, he read uh, Tolkien, and he brought those influences to Marvel Comics, which is cool. Um, what I find most interesting is some of the backstory of uh, Sauron's origin because of the interaction with the comics code, because it was still in effect in what, 68, 69 it was? And um, they couldn't show vampires or vampirism or anything, but like they got around that by saying, oh, it's a war lizard, not a, it's, it's not a, you know, a vampire, but they could do everything that a vampire does, the hypnotism, the draining, the the transformation and and so on so that feels cool who else has thoughts on this section i mean your reading was amazing that was so <laughs> i think everybody should stand up and clap <laughs> i choose evil <laughs> i mean just that right there is enough for me i'm happy now <laughs> trial done <laughs> I really enjoy the duality of his sides and, and even just the influence that the Sauron side has over his, his rage and just his ability to, he, he, he has his intellect, but he can't control his urges and especially having the need to continue to drain energies just fuels him in a very destructive way. A lot of the villains we've explored on this podcast, though, of course, we are sticking with the 60s stuff for now, have to be redefined. Blob and Toad and, you know, whoever. Sauron, right from the beginning, is a force, man. The way Neil Adams draws him, he's so menacing and so scary, and he takes up a lot of space and a lot of story. He's the biggest character in those issues, and he's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Theories on where this character gets his powers from. Why does he turn into a pterodactyl man? Why does he need to drain life in order to survive? So I was rereading... Uh, as part of the homework for this, uh, I was reading Marvel Fanfare 4, which I hadn't read in a while. And at the end, they're trying to cure Lycos 
of the Sauron problem. And there, Professor X says, you know, Lycos was not a mutant himself, but the but the pterodactyl that bit him was a mutant and infected him with a virus that incorporated into his cells and stuff like that. And so um as far as where he like why he has to transform that's that sounds like a bit of it uh, where they get the the hypnotism and the other bits like that that make him a vampire you know i i, I can just imagine as a creator like this is what i want to do this will be cool kids will love this and then uh you know yeah. that's that's about it yeah. <laughs> I, I was gonna say that i think that part of the hypnotism comes from the fact that he's also a psychiatrist so it's <laughs> like it's like bringing that in he's like now he has super hypnosis um and then justin it kind of thinking about the you know affected by a dinosaur and turning into it it makes me think of a, a dinosaur spider-man you know but to think of where do these other parts come from i love the idea that it, it's an extension of his work as a therapist but uh, to the the dichotomy of I'm a pterodactyl, but also I'm a, a pseudo energy vampire. It just doesn't make any sense, but I love it. And it is absolutely amazing as a kid because you're like, wow, this guy is hilarious. He looks so badass and he just keeps on going. I do think we deserve a definitive answer in this origin story. But the two big things for me is how did this where where pterodactyl get powers in the first place? And there's a number of ways to answer that. This this pterodactyl or this tribe of whatever herd or flock of pterodactyls could have easy access to the Nawali machines in the in the Savage Land. There's Garak, the petrified man. There's the entire land of Pangaea, which also has winged birdmen. We talked about them in the trial of, of Kesar a little bit. There are a number of ways to explain that. We could connect them to the high evolutionary or any number of characters that could have powered them up. But the, the bigger unexplored thing for me is why were Charles and Moira interested in forming this bond with Carl Lycos? How did that happen? And what does that have to do with his origins or the development of his powers? But uh, those powers started when he was a kid. So the whole vampiric connection and what, it, what was it about Havoc's energies specifically that inspired the change into the pterodactyl when he'd had those powers for so long? Uh, there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of uh, unexplored origins uh, for Carl here, which is uh, which is maybe one of the more fascinating parts. There's a lot of backstory that I want to see. Uh, any thoughts on that before we continue? I feel like there's also room for Professor Xavier having done something wrong in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> I specifically They're said that always. to Jordan White. I'm like, I want to write the story where I can blame Charles Xavier for Sora. <laughs> it seems like it's there. It's just waiting. It's just waiting to be written. Or Moira. Moira could have done something easily. Uh, Derek yeah. and then Miguel. I was going to go back to your your comment about like he's he like various oh, various villains need uh, reboots from time to time, and I think Sauron came pretty close to being a complete villain right off the start. Like he has like you know you think of people of the same era like Blastar and Mesmero and Frankenstein and like Meccano, like none of them endured in any meaningful way without serious reboots, like you said, but. I mean, Sauron comes with pathos and tragedy built into him right away because of his addiction, because his power separates him from the person he loves. And, he, you know, he does have some good in him when he's not Sauron. And so I think that he probably needed, like, there's more foundation there than there are in many of the other villains that get made during the Silver Age. 
we lean heavy into the soap opera in those issue reviews where, you know, Tanya's like, I can't love you, not until my father approves. Like the, all, all of the, all the like, very soap opera dialogue. Uh, Miguel, what were you going to say? Uh, I was just going to say that, uh, like, the thing with Havoc was, I mean, and I don't know how retconned and unretconned this has become over the years, but right, it was supposed to be that mutant energy is what caused him to transform into Sauron. And he's been absorbing humans for years as a psychiatrist, and that never triggered the change. But once he... Once he absorbed Havoc, then that's when he turned into Sauron, and then he continued that by absorbing other mutants. But then, you know, there's the story with Tanya, uh, when the new brotherhood starts, that doesn't make any sense in that sense, but... There, uh, that's another potential origin that's maybe the easiest one to draw is Mr. Sinister. Mr. Sinister has been retconned to be the guy that connected Havoc to the living pharaoh slash living monolith. That could easily be retconned with a Mr. Sinister genetic twist of some kind. Uh, we'll talk more about that guy another time. <laughs> Can you imagine when we get there, for those that are trial regulars, what the trial of Mr. Sinister is going to be like when we arrive there? Good Lord. Insane. Uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the psychology and power sets of uh, Sora. Karl Lykos is a complicated man. In his human form, he can be portrayed as compassionate and heroic, or as narcissistic and bloodthirsty. When he changes into Sauron, a different personality takes over, one entirely focused on self-preservation and dominance. And uh, Spider-Man villains, the Lizard and the Green Goblin, very much have this energy where there's these parts of themselves that are like dual natures that can kind of take over in different forms. In X-Men Unlimited number six, Sauron is going mad and he keeps ranting about how the Lycos part of him is dead. Jean Grey enters his mind and posits, quote, Sauron is just a physical manifestation of Lycos's personality disorders. By focusing all my psi energy on Sauron, I can navigate my way past the reptilian personality to the submerged remains of Carl Lycos. And personality disorders, if you want to look those up, there's things like narcissistic personality disorder or antisocial personality disorder that psychiatrists will often use to explain humans that have extreme ways of behaving uh, that are parts of their worldview. So uh, Jean Grey, I don't know if she's qualified to diagnose here, but that's how she's, or that's how she's viewing this. While Jean was in his mind, Lycos ranted about how Sauron had taken everyone from him. Then he committed psychic suicide, leaving Sauron a mindless beast for a time. During his time with Weapon X, and we'll talk more about that later, when Sauron is regularly feeding and his powers have been altered, he has some moments of being Sauron with a much shorter beak who wears a lab coat and has the intelligence of Lycos. We also see him in a kind of academy instructor form later on that we'll talk about with the Hellfire Academy. In his Sauron form, this, the portrayal of this character's directives and motivations also change. He can be a savage killer, a solitary predator, a mad scientist, a recluse, or an evil teacher at the Hellfire Academy. Or he can be obsessed with world domination, or feasting on life energies of victims, or having peace, or getting planetary revenge on behalf of extinct dinosaurs, which is personally my favorite version of Sauron. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about his personality and character motivations. What are your thoughts about this guy? Derek, go ahead. Uh, I'm struck by like <clears throat> how how much of a like his his own failure is also 
like self-inflicted in some ways because Tanya's like, I don't care about what my dad says. I don't care about how much money you got. Like we can just be together. He's like, no, I'll never do it. You know, it's like there's this male toxicity in him that he's like carrying around and like, or or who who knows where that's coming from? Like it's just it if he just said yes to that, I mean, his life would have taken a very, very different course. Um, and, and I also have thoughts on uh, Gene as a mental health diagnostician, so we can get back to that. <laughs> oh, go ahead now. That's great. Oh, well, the thing is, I mean, Jean once made herself an astronaut in about four seconds. So, I mean, <laughs> for all we know, the weekend before that X-Men Unlimited 6, she might have made herself, a, you know, a psychiatrist or something. Very fair. We are coming up on the trial of Jean Grey this year. We'll get there. <laughs> I, I will add that actually Jean Grey went to school for psychology. I, I don't know that she is a full-fledged psychologist. Right. I don't know she graduated, <laughs> but she at least has the theory. I think that was interrupted by her modeling career. <laughs> yes, and, and her tour affair with Ted Robbins. <laughs> Justin, did you have thoughts there? Um, nothing off the bat, but I, I think what we were talking about before, just the split personality, I really do like the, the Jekyll and Hyde of his nature and you think about the lizard brain, you think about the reptilian instincts, the, the beast as it takes over and, and how that pursues his action in often destructive ways. This is a big part of the Spider-Man villain lizard. Mm. When he's on his lizard form, he's like reptilian braid. It's like mate, shelter, survive, dominate for lizards, you know? And the duality of like switching back and forth between Kurt Connors and the lizard form. There's a part of that uh, in the X-Men, I'm trying to think of characters who have that kind of duality. Wolvesbane comes to mind, uh, where she's got her her kind of guilty religious yeah. form of her human form, and then like her wolf form where she's much more savage, and like the balance of those two being widely explored in her. Uh, it, it's it's an interesting thing. Do other characters come to mind in the X-Men franchise with that kind of dual identity? There's probably 12 I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. Wolverine comes, you know, in yeah. his berserk, berserk, you know, he has yeah. that. Even he has that a little bit. Beast has that, like, bestial side that can come out when threatened. Uh, yeah. The war criminal side that can come out when <laughs> sitting in a lab for too long. Um, morph from the animated series, and I know that that's largely created by Mr. Sinister's influence, but uh, he then wrestled with this other side of him. He's either the laughy guy or that guy with the dark circles around his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Uh, let's talk about his powers. Soren has a wild set of powers, and they are part of his charm for me, honestly. In his first appearance, he is called a non-mutant variant, whatever the fuck that means. He is scratched by a mutant pteranodon, again, whatever that means, and as a kid, and that makes him start draining life from others in order to survive. So is he a mutant, a mutate? Did the mutant pteranodon give him his powers? Where did it come from? We talked a little bit about that, but he's definitively not a mutant at this point. I can say that from X-Men direct, uh, uh, editorial directly. It's almost like writers have adopted a trope of adding a new superpower to him every 10 or 15 years. So at first he drains the energies of Alex Summers. He changes into a pteranodon hybrid or a pterodactyl man, a massively powered lizard man with a sharp beak massive wings, clawed fingers, super strength, and the ability to fly at superhuman speeds and navigate through the air with ease. But Sauron also has a bizarre myriad of insane abilities, including, if we take it uh, comprehensively, the ability to hypnotize others and keep them under control, 
while draining their life force. Uh, also, he can cause like hallucinations and the, the victims, uh, they kind of go mad. Over the years, more and more abilities have manifested. So he has taken on the abilities to uh, use the powers of those he has drained, kind of like Rogue, like he can take powers from other people. That's not showcased very much, but we have seen that. He can breathe fire like a dragon, which was the Vendus edition in New Avengers. And most recently in X-Men Green, we could see him start to lift things telekinetically. He's firing guns with his mind. So he's the telepathic, fire-breathing, hypnotic, power-stealing, flying pterodactyl man. So where do these new abilities keep coming from? And again, this is part of the origin story I feel like we need. It's like uh, Sinister's using him as a test tube or something. I don't know. Uh, so let's talk about his powers. We, we discussed a little bit. What are your thoughts on his power sets? Go ahead, Derek. Oh, I was going to say, um, he's able to hypnotize and make minor illusions in people. It could be that all of those new powers are not actually there, and he made people believe he breathed fire and made people believe he did the telekinesis, um, because he's done a lot of wild things with his hypnosis, and it's always been there from the beginning, and it's super powerful. That's fair. That's a fair conjecture. Yeah. I think it's interesting to think that, that it's how the energies that he's taking in affects himself and, and how that might contribute to his ability to continue to evolve and grow. I, I also just think that they consult kids on the playground and like, oh yeah, this dinosaur man, what else could he do? It's like, how many powers? He was badass when he was just a dinosaur man. You could just as that. That's cool. But then also, and also, and more. It's delightful. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of Sinister being involved somehow because it does feel exactly like that. Like Sauron's powers are there for the drama and for the fun of it. This is the origin story I'm picturing. Like Xavier hired Carl Lycos's dad and Xavier was already working with like Moira and Sinister. And he like left Carl unattended one day and Sinister came in and was like, oh, here's a human child. <laughs> let, me, let me grab him real quick. So we get this idea of, I don't know, something happened to this kid, poor thing. Uh, we never well, know now with the whole, with this whole new Krakoran era, where, how far was destiny involved? Did she know this was going to happen? There's all these kids that she knows are being experimented on. And like, who knows? Who knows the capacity? Because it's not just Sinister and Xavier now. <laughs> it's now Irene Adler's involved. And she's like, she let this happen. And what's the purpose of having him around and letting him do these things? And there's What's a lot the of story thing? waiting to be told. Absolutely. <laughs> what does Sauron want? We talked about his motivations briefly, but what does he want? <laughs> he wants to turn the world into dinosaurs. <laughs> I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn the world into dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a story we'll cover in a while from Spider-Man X-Men, uh, which is in Justin's section, where it's someone says to Sauron, you could do anything you want. You could cure cancer. And he's like, I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn the world into dinosaurs. <laughs> and it's a wonderful, wonderful panel. <laughs> Uh, what else? What do you guys think? What does he want? His in his early appearances, like he was like he literally went out to steal a bunch of money so that he would have more wealth to be able to, you know, marry Tanya. I believe that was what Angel caught him doing at that time. Um, and then in the Savage Land, he's pretty much a loner. He's like, like, I'm gonna hang out, I'm gonna eat things, and that'll be fine. And he doesn't seem to have any big ambitions until you get to 
the Marvel fanfare era when he then teams up and he's sort of the boss of Zaladane and those mutates. And he's actually trying to do something which is a little more conquesty. So I feel that like his motivation has a bit of growth to it as well. Like there's concentric expanding circles of like what he thinks he might want to do. And at the beginning, his 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 wants seem quite limited. Um, and then, of course, turning everybody into dinosaurs is sort of the ultimate expression of, of you know, of what he wants to do. In the Krakoan era, he's primarily been used in the X-Men Unlimited Infinity comic, uh, X-Men Green, which has been collected into a couple of books. Uh, it's, it's a story about a, a child named Curse who has bad wishes. I'm going to keep it simple. Who has turned Nature Girl, the, the character with antlers, into a dark version of herself. And then Curse brings Sauron into the mix. And he's used, he's pretty scary, but he's also used as the comic relief. You get images of him in like a sailor suit, <laughs> like traveling around fighting crazy bad guys. And he's doing all this crazy shit with his powers. It's a it's a really fun set, but that's where we've seen him in uh, in modern times. Any thoughts on X-Men Green from anybody? Um not not specifically on x-men green but i did want to go back to the uh like what does he want because i was thinking about just the desire for control um there's a couple of times that he wants to control the urges within himself there's a couple of times where where he, he literally controls people he controls groups of people uh, i'm not saying it's a good thing that he wants but you know he, he wants the ability to control the the urges that he has within him uh and and in x-men green specifically he kind of has well-intended mean uh, goals of just trying to stop the senseless murder of the ecosystem and embraces the wild plans of Linlin and uh, goes on a murder spree. <laughs> we do love a good murder spree. Yeah. Uh, last question before we get into the trial section. What makes this guy a staying X-Men villain? The X-Men are often fighting evil mutants or groups that are targeting mutants. Sauron is kind of a weird outlier from all of that. Uh, what he's, makes this guy, what, why does he have such staying power? He's not complicated. He's the villain. Like everybody else is so layered and so traumatized and like they have all these complications and, and politics to them. And he's, I mean, maybe initially he did, but the last, what, 27 years, he's just like the bad guy. Who wants to control things or wants you know I, it's not even about money anymore he just he's just a bad guy he's easy he's simple he's the bad guy that's it there's no <laughs> that's who they gotta fight anybody else is so much more like this orcus and there's all these big things out that they have to do and he's a safe one to go to when you just want somebody to kick a monster's butt and i think yeah i agree that he's got a really easy 20 second elevator pitch to what is this guy and i yeah. think you know justin pointing at his action figure was exactly what i was thinking like the visual design is spectacular <laughs> like i mean neil adams defined so much of the x-men's visual um you know their aesthetic uh in the short time he was there and sauron is just one of them so yeah i, I think uh I think those two things, like in a visual medium like this, you know, I mean, in the uh, one of the things in the late 80s and 90s, I mean, they were making people, you know, covered with blades and swords and stuff. And it's like, you know, the the the, the visual power of certain things can just sustain even a dumb idea. There is uh, there's something special about this character. Like when I see him on the cover or open a book and he's inside, I get a like, oh, fuck, yeah, kind of feeling yeah. like. 
there's like a little kid part of me that gets excited because my favorite villain is showing up. There's something just, again, I think, uh, Ray, you really kind of nailed that for me. He's just simple. He's just, he's the big monster man and he's delightful in that way. Uh, I like the uncomplicatedness of him. It's interesting to me too, I often will do a section in these presentations about key relationships. Sauron doesn't really have any. He has some kind of weird connections to Toad or the Savage Land mutates, but they're more like, hey, we worked together. There's some people that he fought, but outside of uh, Tanya Anderson and or perhaps Charles Xavier, again, in a very unexplored origin, he doesn't have really any connections to anybody. He's very much an entity unto himself. And there's something quite uncomplicated about that, where we don't get that with most characters. Most characters have time travel, crazy clone, science, nuts, nonsense, you know, retcon stuff. So Ron's is pretty simple. He's a, he's a, he's a, an easy through line. Uh, any thoughts on that? Derek, go ahead. I, I think too, like, I agree with you. And I think as well that like, do you feel bad punching him? And I think <laughs> inherent in his design, in, in addition to the simplicity is he's unambiguously bad. People and mutants are food to him. He's entirely about non-consent like he's there to eat you or take your energy or hypnotize you like there's no part of him that that entertains any sort of you know agency for you other than your food in the same spider-man x-men story we referenced a while ago that's in justin section uh he teams up with stegron the dinosaur man and they have like a buddy we want to like rule the world together but then they fight over a girl <laughs> we'll get there in a while but there's there's some really fun ways to bring this character in as a comedy character or as a really formidable threat, depending on how the story is being told. Uh, he's he's delightful in that way. Uh, Noel, do you have any thoughts on this? I was just thinking about what Derek said and, you know, kind of the whole conversation about he's simple. And there is, you know, mutants are food. That's not necessarily true of most villains they fight. There's these complicated issues about rights and things like that. And when you bring in Sauron, it's like... Uh, back to nature, hunter be hunted sort of situation. So you don't feel bad when they're hitting him or something like that. He fits very well in the Savage Land. It's weird when you put him in New York City or something. The weirdest era of this character's history, and this whole title is wild in itself. We talked about this in the Mesmero trial a little bit, but there's the series Weapon X by Frank Thierry and a few other writers, where they bring a team of villains in that are capturing mutants for a government agency. And Sora has kind of a weird path through that. But it's like you're you're putting him in goggles and a, a suit and being like, hey, we'll let you feed on things if you do what we say. And uh, it's 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 a it's a bizarre section of his history in a very uncomfortable title, <laughs> one of the most uncomfortable X Men titles actually. Uh, any thoughts on Weapon X? These are the guys that weaponized Mesmero as well, which is totally unacceptable. <laughs> he's been the he's been deemed the worst villain so far in these trials. <laughs> uh, okay, so with that, I think we are ready to transition into the trial section. We've divided Sauron's history up into five different sections, mostly chronologically with retcons in place. Uh, one huge example that Derek referenced earlier is X-Men The Hidden Years, which was written in the early 2000s, but set in the post-60s continuity. Uh, side note, X-Men The Hidden Years is going to get a lot of time on my show in this next year, beginning in May. So uh, stay tuned. It's actually pretty great. And we have some really cool guests lined up as we're going to slowly kind of work our way through that uh, series a couple issues at a time. As we are putting Sauron on trial, each jury member has been assigned one section of Sauron's history. 
they uh, had read these appearances and have come up with prosecutory and defense points for each section. After we review each section, each of the jury members, including myself, will vote on how culpable or how evil Sauron is. We'll take a final score at the end. When we are voting in each of the five sections, we're gonna vote a one, two, three, four, five scale. Uh, so when you are, in, are all individually voting, one would mean you are voting he has committed justifiable actions. Two is a morally concerning area of his history. Three, we would be voting that it's definitely inappropriate. Four, over the line into criminal behavior. And five, pure evil. Uh, a, a stupid voting scale that I came up with at the beginning, and we're just sticking with it all the way through. So we're just going to use the standard one through five. Okay, so with that, I think we are ready to begin. Uh, trial point one, we are calling transformation. And the jury member assigned is my friend Derek Kunskin. Carl Lakos spent years draining life energies from his unsuspecting patients before he drained life out of the mutant havoc and transformed into Sauron. Loudly proclaiming how he wanted to be evil now, he fought the X-Men with his strange abilities to fly, slash with claws, drain life, and hypnotize others into his control. Sauron tried to kill Herr Anderson so that he could be with Tanya, uh, but his good side won out, and he rushed back to Tierra del Fuego in an attempt to let himself starve to death. Tanya came to find him, and Sauron, or Lycos, threw himself off a cliff, determined to die. He survived and lived peacefully in the savage land for a time, feeding off of the energies of dinosaurs, the beginning of his very long love affair with dinosaurs. He ended up being involved in another conflict between the X-Men and Magneto, but soon hypnotized the X-Men to make them forget this brief battle. When the X-Men returned to the savage land, Lycos fed on them, changing back into Sauron, and then tried feeding on the X-Men before they defeated him. Back in his human form, Lycos helped the X-Men and Kesar in a mission against Garak, the petrified man, and Zaladane, and then he chose to stay in the Savage Land. During a time when Sauron reverted into his pterodactyl form, Wolverine landed in the Savage Land, and they battled each other before teaming up to stop Garak. Lycos became allies with Kesar and Zabu, and they worked to protect the Savage Land against Zaladane, the Savage Land mutates, and Garak. In time, Tanya found him, and they were joyfully reunited and in love. Angel, Tanya, and Spider-Man were devolved into cavemen by the Savage Land mutates, and Lycos drained their energies from them to save them, but inadvertently turned himself back into Sauron. Then he switched sides, teaming up with Zaladate and taking his place within a citadel as the natural leader of the Savage Land. He fought the X-Men before being devolved once again into his human form, and then he departed with Tanya, eager for a happy human life with her, though he worried what would happen were he ever to revert to Sauron again. The key issues in this first section, X-Men Volume 160 and 61, X-Men The Hidden Years 9 through 12, X-Men Volume 1 114 through 116, Wolverine Black, White, and Blood Number 4 Part 3, and finally, Marvel Fanfare, Volume 1, Numbers 1 through 4. Uh, let me turn it over to my friend Derek. Thank you. So a few opening thoughts on both prosecution and defense. An important question we're going to have to figure out is who exactly is on trial. The accused lives the ongoing torment of a Jekyll and Hyde life, where instead of needing to drink a serum, Lycos needs only to touch a mutant to become the monster. So the prosecution and defense essentially revolves around the structure of an alcoholic with car keys. The accused may go through weeks of abstinence or months, in this case, not touching a mutant, and will show one kind of behavior that we can find very defensible and even admirable. 
Um, when the accused is not abstinent, he becomes a super powered equivalent of a drunk driver. And we all have those kind of, you know, intoxication driving rules where, you know, if you get into a car while you're inebriated, you're responsible for what happens afterwards. And I think that's one of the legal principles we need to think about when we're when we're going through this. So the culpability of different crimes will therefore depend on whether the break in abstinence was intentional or accidental. Can for I, example, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, let me address that very quickly, because I do think we'll mm -hmm. have to make a determination on that for the trial. If mm -hmm. we are putting Lycos on trial, basically what we're putting him on trial for is not being able to rein in his Sauron side. Uh, or are we putting Sauron on trial? Or are we just considering them the same version? Because there is an inability for Lycos, Lycos to control his transformations at times. So something for everybody to chew on. We'll, we'll, we'll keep thinking it over. But amazing point as we begin, Derek. Go ahead. Okay, so my example is in Tonga's Savage Land Village, Lycos ought to have known that taking energy from any X-Men was playing with fire. So Lycos, when he went up to Storm and non-consensually touched her and took all her, her energy, um, he's guilty of everything that happened after that in X-Men 114 and 115. Um, and, you know, prosecution and defense in this section will follow these principles. So on the prosecution side, what kind of criminal is Sauron the monster? So Sauron had a very clear establishment of intent in his first appearance when he, I paraphrase here his first words, I'm evil and my first crime is going to be to contravene the Burn Copyright Convention and plagiarize non-public domain IP by taking the name Sauron. And that's his first crime and he just goes downhill from there. Um, this is as clear a statement of intent as any made by Dr. Doom, Magneto or Thanos. Crimes committed by Sauron the monster, uh, usually without the intent of Lycos the man, include assault, aggravated assault, theft, forcible confinement, and murder. There's probably some others, but those are the biggies. Um, thinking about defense, um, because Sauron makes his own choices about his acts, Lycos, in theory and defense, can only be held accountable for the crimes committed by Sauron where Lycos deliberately chose to become a were-pterodon. This reduces the number of crimes a lot because a number of his transformations to Sauron were accidental and one was for the greater good. Um, additionally, in moments of personal consequence, like where Sauron's actions will affect Lycos's loved ones, Lycos's personality can rise like a conscience and restrain or stop Sauron. Uh, for example, Lycos fled to avoid killing the Andersons, even to the point of attempting suicide by jumping off a cliff. Like, I don't want to hurt Tanya, I'm going to fling myself to my death. That's uh, This is a heavy weight on the side of defense. Um, he also adapted to his curse to try and minimize the damage to others. So for the most part, he stayed in the savage land where he could feed on only animals that weren't covered by animal cruelty laws. And then where he encountered mutants, he often tried to avoid them to avoid draining them. Um, where he intentionally drained mutants, it was sometimes an act of sacrifice by an addict. So, for example, when he became Sauron to revert Angel, Spider-Man, and Tanya to their human forms, he knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to this dark place, but he also realized he could save them that way by basically, you know, becoming the Sin Eater. Um, another example of this is when Lycos took care of a vulnerable, amnesiac, underpants Iceman without even nibbling on his energy. Um, it was Bobby who ignored the warnings and came too close on his own and then triggered this, the Sauron transformation. That was not Lycos's problem. He's like, stay away, Drake. Um, and I may point out, like, this is open to interpretation, but after Magneto attacked Bobby in the Savage Land, Sauron attacked Magneto. And I, my, I had canon this as he's trying to protect Bobby. 
So, um, you know, that's, I'm going to take it as a defense point. Maybe you will too. The other thing is there are two additional defense points I want to bring up uh, for this section. The first is he's fated for this. With a family name like Lycos, there's own, you could only become Carl the Lycanthrope. Um, this fate based on names is suffered by such other ill-fated individuals as Otto Octavius, Enigma the Regular, um, Dr. Victor Freeze, who becomes Mr. Freeze, Kane Marco, who becomes the bad brother, Damon Hellstrom, son of the devil, Victor Von Doom. With a name like Lycos, much of his destiny was set in stone. Gus Hopper, who becomes the locust. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and th the last thing I'll say on, on, on this sort of defense section is the artistic defense. Sauron was drawn by Neil Adams, John Byrne, Mike Golden. He was inked by Terry Austin and Tom Palmer. Even when he was bad, he was looking good. So like, take we got to take that too. Um, the judgment on Lycos, I, I'm going to suggest to people of the jury that he goes from morally concerning when he's like, oh, I'm just going to take a little bit of energy without my client actually knowing this. And he's the, at least the client thinks he's going to be okay over ranging to over the line to criminal behavior. And as punishment, I would suggest to the jury that the court should err on the side of irony and that Sauron should be robbed of his physical form, reduced to a malevolent spirit that hovers above Mordor as a huge shape of shadow, impenetrable and lightning crown, terrible, but impotent to be blown away by a great wind towards Valinor. So both prosecution and defense rest. I certainly have comments, but <laughs> let me hear from the other members of our jury. What comments and or questions do you have about this section, especially things that will help you make your determination on your vote? You I, do, my brain, brain I, do think, I do think there is uh, an interesting through line, Derek. And first of all, all of these uh, stories are very, very pretty. They're drawn just beautifully. Sauron is always very epic. Uh, there is a through line of acts of heroism in this early history where he's uh, able to rein it in or he's able to control himself or he tries to isolate himself so as not to hurt others. Uh, God, that image in X-Men The Hidden Years of Sauron fighting Magneto is so great. Oh, John Byrne draws the hell out of that. It's wonderful. Uh, so that that idea of uh, Lycos versus Sauron, I can't. I don't feel like I can deem as the judge. I don't think I can deem Sauron mentally competent. But I think we have to assume we're putting Sauron on trial uh, for protecting the public in the greater good because he is a murderer. Uh, just not yet. <laughs> uh, let me turn it back to the jury. What uh, what comments and questions on his early history do you have? What do you like? What are you confused about? Well, he does have, like it was mentioned, where for the sake of someone he's loved or felt something towards, broke out of Sora mode. That's not something that happens very often. But if he can do that, it's it's harder to judge, you know, at least, at least on, on his behalf. Positive. At least until Tanya dies. And we'll, we'll get to that in your section in a second. <laughs> Yeah, it feels like he has more agency at this point than later stories, which does bring into question, like, are the crimes that he did at this point almost worse than later? Because he could choose to be better and often does. And, and, and to even have within himself the ability to stop what he's doing only when motivated by, by 
something personally resonant to him, doesn't that mean that he has it there all along and just needs to find other ways to unlock it? And um, yeah, this is this is complicated. It he's a complicated character. Yeah, yeah. this is uh, this is very much '60s Green Goblin. If you go back and read early Green Goblin stories, like the dark side of him takes over, and the Norman's like, "No, I don't want to do evil. I've got to hold myself in check." And then he forgets who he was, and they're worried he's going to come back. There's a lot of that element uh, early on too. Um, are we ready to vote in this section? Does anyone have any questions? Let's begin with Ray. How culpable do you vote Sauron in this section from one up to five? I'm gonna say four. I think that considering that in this time period, he has the ability to be out of the Sauron mode, that he can break through and protect the people he cares for. There's there's some it gives him some power and responsibility in that sense. Noel. I'm gonna go three. I don't know how far his agency goes, but he does seem to have it. So I'm gonna go three. Justin? It's three for me too. It's the struggle within himself and, and sometimes giving into it and but but not giving into it all the way just knowing that there's a lot worse later <laughs> uh miguel i i think three as well wait uh i'm surprising myself i'm gonna go two here and i think it lands down to we often have the conversation of yes they committed crimes but were the crimes really effective like they tried to rob the bank but did they did Sauron really accomplish anything before he tried to turn it around in this section? So for here, it's a two for me. And uh, then Derek. I think I'm a three. Entirely fair, which gives us a total of 18 out of 30 in this first section. Uh, the next section we are going to call the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Uh, this is my era of childhood, like uh, reading comics live from week to week. And these characters felt so huge at the time. They were like a looming threat that were so cool. Rereading the stories, they're not that cool. <laughs> but as a teenager, these were amazing visuals. <laughs> the jury member assigned in this section is uh, rare, so you know? Uh, Carl and Tanya moved back to New York City and lived a happy domestic life until Toad broke in one day with the blob and they strapped Tanya into an apparatus and drained her life into Carl, forcing his return to Sauron and seemingly killing Tanya. So quite tragic. Sauron then joined the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants under Toad's leadership, even though he just killed his partner, and he participated with them in fights against X-Force, teaming up with the Morlocks. During this first fight, Sauron nearly got decapitated by Shatterstar before he savagely slashed into Cannonball, who survived because he was kind of an immortal for a minute. That's a whole story for another time. Sauron, believed dead after significant damage, was tossed to the Morlocks in a heap, but he survived, draining, draining the life of a vagrant in order to replenish himself. Sauron joined the Brotherhood when they tried recruiting the expatriates, but X-Factor intervened, and Sauron had his ass kicked by Wolvesbane, who bit his neck, and Polaris. The Brotherhood then went after the mutant Portal, Charles Littlesky, trying to force an alliance, and Sauron killed at least one guardsman, uh, who are the armored guys that uh, guard the prison for super criminals. Sauron also forced Portal to work with the team for a time through hypnosis. They were soon defeated by Darkhawk, Spider-Man, and Sleepwalker. After leaving the Brotherhood, Sauron tried taking over the Savage Land by recruiting the Savage Land mutates when he took mental control of Brainchild and Gaza. 
and as, as well as the tribe of barbarians. Wearing a new costume, Sauron battled the X-Men and particularly slashed at Wolverine before they beat him. They newly, uh, excuse me, they nearly turned him back into Carl Lycos, but Sauron convinced them that he was a separate entity and deserved to live freely in the Savage Land. The key issues in this section are X-Force Volume 1, 5 through 11, X-Factor Volume 182, Darkhawk 19 and 20, Sleepwalker 17, Wolverine Volume 2, numbers 69 through 71. Uh, let me turn it over to Ray. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we're going to start with the defense here. This is a guy who was just doing groceries, minding his business, walking home, eager to just cook dinner for his loved one, only to come in and have to see her being attacked by two monsters, this blob and toad who got her sequestered and ultimately get him too, and then hang them both upside down in metal diapers. And somehow that <laughs> makes it so that he absorbs her life force and becomes this monster again, the Sauron, who is, he's avoided for years. So he's not, at this point, guilt is toads. Like these people left, they could have left this man alone to live his happy life, but instead they drag him back. He could have been a contender. They drag him back into this world where he's now got, he's got nothing to go to fight for anymore. And like Tanya's gone. So he's now has to, he's got this group. He's got this brotherhood. It's something he's a part of. Maybe there's a mob mentality going on. But, you know, the, the idea is lined up and they figure if they get a teleporter, it'll make them even better. They'll be able to get revenge on these X-Men. But, you know, yes, they do encounter X-Force and he does bump into Cannonball. But Cannonball's okay. He's fine. The guy's walking around. He's got kids. He's good. And Sauron is still, he's still part of this group. So trying to make things happen for himself. And the next thing we get is like, they find out they have, they have a teleporter. Now this toad again, convinced them all that they need to find this teleporter so that they can have access to military weapons to go to Washington state and take over. It's all toad. Carl is going along because he has nothing. They've taken away the love of his life. He's just a man lost. Does he not save the vagrant that falls into the water accidentally and absorb his life force? Maybe. Does he, <laughs> there's you know he's it's circumstantial. It's circumstantial. And then then there's Edgar Running Bull. Nobody saw anything. He was just when they got there when the, when the witnesses arrived at the location. It was just a man dead passed out we we don't know that Sauron did it or I'm sorry Carl Carl <laughs> and you know it's just unfortunate it's unfortunate that somebody who's trying to do their best can be influenced by force and and just this selfishness with with no thought or concern for his well-being or for himself and his future and just totally taking away his will taking away his, his agency for himself and just aligning him to a cause. And he was a man lost at this point. So in defense of Carl Lycos, they killed Tanya, Toad did it. And he has, you know what? He has served his time because he was disregarded like a goldfish flushed down the toilet. They just walked him into the Morlock tunnels and dropped him in the water and kept it going. He's, he's, he's done his time, he, he died. So, so he, he's covered that sense. So he's gotten the 
full punishment. It's been done. So time served and nothing to convict. Clean slate. And prosecution. <laughs> I mean, the list, the list of victims. Yes, Edgar Running Bear. Nobody saw anything. But look at what remained. If forensics goes in there, what are they going to see? They're going to see the effects of Sauron's power. It's evidence of, you know, the wall was busted through the building. There was no wall. So how did, so there's no wall. The man's dead. He's still warm. But so it's got all the signature. It's got his signature. He's got Sauron written all over him. And the guardsmen, the guardsmen could have had a family. Yes, they're all just wearing matching green outfits. But, you know, there's a person under that. And he's, uh, he didn't deserve to have his neck snap. And that was pretty violent. Carl, you know, Mr. Sauron didn't have to go that far. And uh, the drunk, the drunk fell in the water. You know, Yana, he fell in the water. <laughs> he did, he could have saved him. He could have saved, I know he has a beak, but he could have tried some kind of CPR to make sure that the guy made it through in spite drowning on his own. Because, okay, well, the choices would have been the guy drowns, Sauron brings him up and helps resuscitate him with his elbow. I don't know what he's going to use. He can't, he doesn't have any parts to help. <laughs> and, <laughs> or uh, to sustain himself because he needed it because he was left, he was flushed down the toilet and he needed to be brought back. You know, and that, that was important for him to do. But uh, none of that needed to end in death. He could have just taken a little bit from everybody. There's a lot of people around. He could have just, like he did in the past, just like dabble and taste and, there needed to be no death, but uh, he did run away to the savage land. He did have, uh, he exiled himself, but was that enough? Because he went over there and then he took over a whole group of people and had them just butcher each other. I mean, the guy's a savage. There's no, he doesn't care about people anymore. Like I guess once Tanya was gone, it was on. Because then they show up in the savage land and he's pimped out. He's got crowns. He's got diamond rings he's got diamond claw covers he's got i mean he's hooked up totally done flaunting his power and control of these people who i mean he's got he's very much in charge he's very much aware of what he's doing and yes he's exiled himself but he deserved more of punishment than that he when the x-men tried to save him and oddly enough it was in this particular situation rogue Another person who needs to touch to affect others, who drains powers and abilities. And she has a she can have a particular understanding for Carl or Sauron. And even she saw to not hurt him, but he should have been. Because what was his claims? Like, well, you can turn me human, and then what, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna either become a lawyer, a, a tax collector, and do what in the savage land? You're surrounded by people, by predators. There's no omnivores in the savage land. There's no hunter. I mean, so there's no uh, farmers. It's all kill or be killed. So he is in a comfortable prison, but he needs to be made uncomfortable because he should not have taken those lives. And that's that's the closing argument for the prosecution. He killed people. <laughs> When we, a beautiful job, Ray. I know that was uh, a lot to ask on a, on a guest on the show. Thank you for putting that together and really fun, man. That was, that was delightful.
the uh, the loss of Tanya in both the Blob trials and the Toad trials, those were the moments where we were like, oh, these are really uncomfortable to reckon with. Uh, Derek, I'm going to turn it over to you for a second, if you're willing. Tanya Anderson and her initial appearances in the early Roy Thomas is like very much like, oh, I just love you and my daddy doesn't like she's she's the bit soap opera actress who's like 1940s but in the marvel fanfare series chris claremont gives her a little bit of love uh and we never really reckon with her loss or what it means for them to murder her in this later story uh tell us a little bit about the portrayal of tanya in uh in the marvel fanfare story if you're willing to yeah totally um i mean she's the driving force to go get help for him like she's like i know he's alive he's got to be in a crappy situation you know, Warren Worthington III, will you please help me because you're the only person I know who I can, you know, and so she she's the one who persuades the whole enterprise to start. Um, that's that's the act of somebody with a lot more agency, which is something we expect anyway from a, a Claremont character. Um, and but I think still that like your 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 characterization of her 60s appearance, like the, the that she was very focused on the love and the relationship and stuff. I think it's still there. It's at the core of it. But it was it was given more agency. Um, yeah. And and I think even going back to what Thomas and, you know, Neil Adams may have been going for is like, I mean, romance comics, you know, when they were younger would have been outselling everything else on the stand. So, I mean, there was still a very, very large, you know, uh, undercurrent of romance to the, the comics. I mean, Marvel is made on its horror title, it, like its horror trends, its romance trends, and its science fiction monster trends. And so that, you know, the romance, I guess I'm trying to say the romance is still a really big motivator. And Tanya is literally fridged. Uh, if you look up what fridging is, the, the character he loves is lost. And now he's like, I have nothing to live for. Going into the psychology of this character for a moment, there's something interesting about the grief of this. And when you look at superhuman psychology, the woman he loves is dead. It was not in his hands. And then he chooses to work with the guy who killed her. And you almost wonder if the sore on entity or the evil part of him is relieved to have the woman gone because she was the thing that kept him human. She was the thing that kept Carl able to control this. And now he's delving into his grief by becoming cruel and terrible and delving into the more monstrous side of himself. But he still wants solitude. It's like he's excusing himself enough to commit this uh, these these acts of rage. Uh, Derek, go ahead. I think if you if we look at it through the addiction lens, um, the loss of Tanya is it could also be a relief to him as she's the person who makes who sort of makes him try to handle his addiction and you know get rid of you know not not become this this monster like i guess at that point he also some of his powers were supposed to have been cured but like yeah she's she's also the reason he tries to fight his addiction and so there may be a relief from the addicted part side because then that that's exactly what sauron is sure sure there's relief and grief i mean maybe relief on sauron's side but kyle Carl, he's he's at a, he's he's grieving this whole thing. He's he's joined the side. He's given up on everything because he's he lost the love of his life. This, the person who did ground him and give him some something to care about is gone. So throw it all away. God damn it, Toad! <laughs> <laughs> uh, what questions or comments do we have from the jury on this section? In addition, or what do you need to ask to make your judgments here? Ray told me, I hope it's all right to share this. We were chatting briefly yesterday. He said, the roughest part of this was Leifeld's art. <laughs> does uh, does Leifeld draw a good it was It was hard to look at. It was Sometimes it was just like, oh, man, this guy got paid. 
<laughs> that image of Toad with his like giant smile in the house like, that is like a thousand in his throat, like <laughs> it's, I mean, it's good, but it's scary. And then there's the metal underpants you referenced, which are less good. <laughs> a big diaper machine. I don't know what that was. And you're like, he bumped into Cannonball while he eviscerated. <laughs> Oops. Uh, Justin, what are your thoughts on early X-Force? Do you have any? I enjoy it. I mean, I, I think it, it's really tragic what happens to Carl and, and really <laughs> triggers this to happen further, but I, I'm here for more Sauron, so I can't say that I'm too torn up about it. it it's interesting to think like how much impact that would have on him and especially uh his lack of control of what happens next as he's turned into sauron and just going down this path of killing and destruction i think it's hard for me in this section with the killing to be like oh well he's, he's still a cool pterodactyl guy or pterodactyl guy uh, we also get Fantasia in that era, who is uh, yeah. everything. Uh, okay, I think we're ready to go ahead and vote in this section then. Noel, will you go first? I am torn. I am going to go with a two. I feel the Tanya stuff comes up in my section too, and I, I think that's just a huge part of what happens to him at this point. Justin? Uh, I'm, I'm in the three to four range and i guess i'm gonna round up and go for because it's just i understand uh he's he's had a lot happen to him but he just kind of i don't know he does a lot here miguel i am also gonna go with a two i think the grief is something that very much has to be taken into light when it's a it's a four for me here because i do agree with the grief statement but he also killed some people (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, it still seems pretty bad. Uh, Derek? I'm somewhere between a one and a two. And I think just to be, uh, you know, just to poke the bear, I think I'm going to go for a one. Because the thing is, if we go back to the argument, like, Justifiable. How, mu- <laughs> how, how much um, is he in control? How much did Lycos cause this, right? Like, mm. he his his wife was killed to turn him into a monster. It's like somebody held him down pumped him full of liquor and gave him the car keys, right? And like literally started the car for him. So is that person entirely culpable for what happened next? Um, we all hate Toad. <laughs> we all hate Mesmero. We all hate Blob. Um, so I think we've we've established in other trials that they, they bear a lot of the blame for what is happening here. So I think I'm going to go for a one just to be uh, dramatic. Fully agreed on Mesmero, but I actually love Blob and Toad. <laughs> and then Ray. Yeah. It it's a I'm I'm gonna go and be dramatic too. It's a one. He lost the love of his life and, he, and then they put him in that diaper and that was it. Like I I wouldn't I can't put it, I can't get past it. <laughs> it really does look like a diaper, everybody. <laughs> I, I, I gotta say too that like the defense council was really persuasive. Thank you. (laughs) Well done, well done. Okay, with that, we will move into trial point three. We are calling this section Sauron the Savage. It's always fascinating for me to stack up these different spaces, like see how the characters change uh, in different eras. Uh, The assigned jury member here is Noel Reed. Sauron established a base of power in the Savage Land and began draining the lives of tribesmen to stay alive. But his power only got more substantial, excuse me, his hunger only got more substantial, and he ordered havoc to be brought to him. 
Driven to the point of madness by the Lycos side of himself, Sauron fed on the energies of the X-Men, Havoc, Cyclops, Phoenix, Polaris, and mutated even farther before the Lycos part of him in his mind committed a form of psychic suicide, leaving Sauron a mindless beast for a time. In this more mindless state, Sauron battled Kesar and his allies trying to seize control of the alien machines that power the savage land, but he was defeated swiftly. His human type side took over again, and he moved to New York, but he reverted to Sauron again when he started feeding on mutants. After another battle with the X-Men, Sauron was defeated by Wolverine, then strapped to the back of a motorcycle in a bag and chains. When Wolverine crashed, Sauron freed himself and ended up in a conflict with the new students of Alpha Flight, but he escaped. Thoron was soon drafted into the Weapon X program, and his powers were altered to allow him to drain machinery. Oh, we forgot that part when we talked about the power section earlier. He could also drain machines for a minute. Uh, he was put on a team of killers that included Sabretooth, Mesmero, Marrow, and Wildchild, and sent on dangerous missions to capture mutants who would be taken to concentration camps and put to death. His intelligence stunted, and wearing a weird red costume, Sauron began sneaking out of the facility to drain the lives of humans he could catch. Sauron was sent to recruit Emma Frost, but she refused, so he recruited Jack in the Box instead, breaking this mutant in into pieces during a rage. But don't worry, because Jack's a mutant who can be broken into pieces and still stay alive. Sauron went on a number of missions with Weapon X, including fighting the Zodiac group in order to kidnap Madison Jeffries, and kidnapping the Taylor family, with, uh, which included young children, in order to put them to death in the concentration camp Neverland. Eventually, Sauron was imprisoned. Uh, let me turn it over to Noel Reed. The key issues in this section are X-Men Unlimited, number six, Hesar of the Savage Land, number one, X-Men, uh, excuse me, Uncanny X-Men 353 through 355, Alpha Flight Volume 2, number nine, Weapon X, one half, Weapon X, The Draft, Sauron, number one, and finally, Weapon X, numbers one and five through the 2002 series uh, on that one. Uh, now, let me turn it over to Noelle. Okay, so for the prosecution, Sauron does several criminal things. He's actively hunting down mutants to increase his power, like he is choosing to go after mutants specifically rather than just humans. He kidnaps Alex Summers and drains his powers. We all know what happened the first time he did that. And during that story, he's fighting Cyclops, Gene, and Polaris as well. And he hypnotizes them and uses their own memories against them to get them to fight each other, turn them away from him. And I do think there's an element of him being a psychiatrist that's assisting him in this whole process. Um, it's not great. And then he goes after the X-Men at home. He's just on a mission for mutants at this point. He, he doesn't want any other... He doesn't care about draining humans. He wants mutants. Um, and then I don't think I need to add much detail to the assisting weapon X for the concentration camps. I don't, I don't feel like I need to dive in on that too much. Pretty bad. Um, and while he's doing that as his day job in his spare time, he's going after humans to drain at night. So not great. And these are all really bad, and I love doing the prosecution for these trials. Um, but there's a lot of mitigating factors through these stories. Um, the Tanya thing, like I mentioned, it comes up a lot here in the Uncanny X-Men stories when he's going after Havoc. We are reminded through several pages that Tanya was, quote, his anchor to Lycos's humanity. And that anchor was taken away against his will. 
he, um, as Sauron, he's also suffering hallucinations about like his past and what happened to him. Um, and it says that with Tanya dead, the Lyco side of him has no reason to fight against a Sauron persona. Um, he just kind of fades into the background. Lycos does reassert himself against the Sauron side um, when he's fighting the X-Men with Jean Grey's help. So he's not fully like in control. He has to take some help. She kind of draws him out and he sacrifices himself to destroy both his psyche and Sauron's. So from that point on, Sauron exists in a pretty limited mental capacity. So when he's fighting with Kazar, like he's not really Sauron or Lycos at that point. He's just kind of mindless. Um, when he goes to Weapon X, he is, they do not care about him. I know they don't care about anybody, but they like openly shit talk Sauron. Like the he, they tell him he's the most expendable, expendable member of the team. Uh, he sends, or he gets sent to recruit Emma Frost and the director says like, Oh yeah, like I sent you on this mission because I thought it was a great like beauty and the beast situation. Only you're never going to have your beauty, you know, because Tanya's dead. So pretty mean. Um, and they also did some experiments on him that leave him somewhat mentally incapacitated. Um, Emma Frost even comments on it. Like you used to be a lot smarter. And he's like, well, they did experiments on me. And it's pretty sad. Uh, so I don't think that he could pass a competency test to be held accountable for anything that he does while he's at Weapon X. I don't even know if he really can comprehend it. So overall, Sauron does do several prosecutable crimes, but I don't think that he can be held uh, responsible when you, you all know that's how I feel about the last section that still is in play at this point. Um and then the experiments of Weapon X just diminishing his mental capacity. The shining star in this section is that X-Men Unlimited number six. It's a great issue. It's really fun. In the same way that Weapon X is very uncomfortable to read. <laughs> it's, really, it's really a phenomenal title. Uh, what questions or comments do we have from the jury on this section? The idea of Lycos kind of dying within Sauron and Sauron like eating everyone he can to try to maintain control. Like the grieving man inside me uh, that he's just delving into his addiction over and over and over again to keep himself uh, without having to feel things. And that and that issue ending with him like committing psychic suicide. Uh, it's impossible to know exactly what Weapon X did to him or how they altered him to keep him under control. This is not an easy guy to keep on a team, I imagine. Uh, but yeah, there's some interesting psychological exploration here for me. Uh, other thoughts? I'm, I'm struggling with the fact that he intently, intentionally sought out mutants to become Sauron and to, to dive into. I, I get the argument of addiction, and I, but at the same time, I, where is the responsibility to recognize in yourself or, or to seek help? At no time does he try to, to work with anybody else to stop from pursuing this i i get he's in a he's in a spiral we could we could talk about uh the loss of his love for the rest of the day but we need to acknowledge that he's still pursuing the avenue into these crimes that he's then enacting um there's a lot of outside influences but i just 
I don't know if I can completely give a give a pass to Carl for everything that the the other side is doing when Carl is not there, quote unquote. I do feel like there is like I just wrote a lot and I I didn't throw this in there, so I'm glad you mentioned it. Like there is like a question of how responsible is like the Carl in the situation for abdicating responsibility. You know, it is a reaction mm. to the loss, but there is sort of, you know, giving up and letting right. Sauron just do whatever. Uh, uh, so I think we're going to uh, go ahead and vote in this section. Uh, let's begin with Justin. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm conflicted because it's just, it's the sides of battle. I, it's definitely a three and I think it's, it doesn't go further, but I just, I, I want it to just because I, it's just the fuck. Fucker, <laughs> it's a three. I'll just leave it at a three. Um, Miguel, ruin about it. Okay, so I think because of the fact that he's going through this, uh, we have to err on the side of mercy, passion. on passion. Yes, uh, and I would also, I would give him a two. I love so much of this section. I'm going to go next. It's a five for me, simply because of the Weapon X stories. He dragged kids to concentration camps. And as much as I love him and want to find the reasons, that's the thing, like, what? Like, this is the darkest part of his history for me. Uh, Derek. So while Noel was talking, I was thinking of another analog, which is, like, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel and Angelus. Like, when Mm -hmm. Angel lost his soul... He became like he did, he didn't lose it on purpose, but once he lost it, he was like really really bad. Um, and I think the mental capacity is a big issue for me. Like there are people who are like yes, as as Justin was saying, Lycos himself was going out and seeking out this stuff. Like he's feeding his own addiction, but at the same time, there's people around him who are also exploiting his personal weaknesses and his personal yeah. So I mean. Is is he a responsible person in the legal sense, or is he just somebody being exploited? If he's criminally insane, I'm not saying let him run free. I think then we're switching to a mode of okay, how do we prevent harm to society and then treat the, that sort of insanity? I think in the end, all of that spins me around to probably a three, um, because like there's extenuating circumstances in all directions. Sure, Ray. I'm gonna say four. Let's say four in the concentration camp is an issue, but there are so many other people involved and people taking advantage of him and breaking him and knowing that he's broken and exploiting all of that. It's it's just not, uh, it's gotta be a four. And then Noah? I'm gonna go three. Um, I would go higher, but I don't think he's mentally capable of, I honestly don't know what he knows with the concentration camp thing. And he's like Emma Frost is like you're real dumb right now. So um, <laughs> that that really f- brings it down for me. I'm fairly certain that Emma Frost would have nothing but compliments for him on any other day. <laughs> <laughs> that gives us a yeah, twenty out of thirty of this section. We'll then go to trial point four, which we are calling Dinosaur Man. Uh, the jury member assigned here is uh, is Miguel Morales. The Savage Land mutates hired Electro to break Lycos out of prison, and Lycos escaped, but so did dozens of other supervillains. Back in the Savage Land, the newly formed New Avengers came to investigate and were captured and strung up naked. Lycos, ranting about the injustice of Weapon X, ordered the heroes killed, but the Avengers escaped and attacked with Wolverine hitting Lycos with his claws. 
Lycos fed on the mutant energy and changed to Sauron, but he was promptly shot in the head by S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Yelena Belova, uh, the Black Widow character from the recent movie. Healing himself, because he had taken on Wolverine's healing factor for a time, Sauron showed the ability to now breathe fire, and he badly burned Belova before he was defeated. Soon after, Sauron worked with Stegron, the dinosaur man, for the first time, and attacked New York, but they were easily defeated by Spider-Man, Kesar, and Zabu, who Sauron briefly hypnotized. Sensing that Magneto was back on Earth, the Savage Land mutate character Worm controlled the Savage Land mutates and Sauron into attacking a ship in Japan, wanting to cause an international incident. The new mutants attacked, and Sauron battled Cannonball again before Worm was defeated and the villains were freed from control. A scientist named Kega used some of Sauron's genetic material and combined it with the brood, and God, this creature is scary, and then sent it to attack the X-Men, but they defeated the creature by forcing it back into its human form and it soon perished on its own. Sauron then joined the Hellfire Academy as an instructor and trained a group of X-Men students and new mutants using harsh methods, teaching a class called Subjugation Through Science. He promised to help his students learn to detonate bombs and create races of subservient mutants. In one conversation, Sauron intuits that he has had children that he has not allowed to live in the past. Uh, the X-Men attacked and Sauron was defeated by the Toad, ironically, who hit him in the head with a mop. This is in Toad's uh, unpleasant janitor era. <laughs> Soon the Hellfire Academy was defeated and disbanded. The key issues here are New Avengers 4 through 6, Spider-Man Family number 6 part 2, New Mutants volume 4 number 10, Astonishing X-Men volume 3 number 34, and then Wolverine and the X-Men 28, 31, 32, and 33. Let me turn it over to Miguel. Welcome to Grand Malkin Maine, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so in the trial of Carl Lycos, AKA Sauron, the prosecution seeks to prove that the defendant is a danger to society and should be imprisoned for his crimes. Crimes which range from escaping a maximum security prison to sanctioning murder, to crossing international borders without proper clearance, to attacking aircraft mid-air, to grooming children toward a life of evil and villainy. So point one, yes, Electra was hired by the Savage Land Mutates to break Carl Lycos out of prison, which resulted in the escape of 40-something criminals. As a result of this, S.H.I.E.L.D. agents lost their lives trying to contain the escapees. When the Avengers catch up to him in the Savage Land, he orders them killed and the bodies to be dumped in other Savage Land territories to mask their involvement and avoid any fallback. When Wolverine tries to prevent him from escaping once he and the other Avengers are no longer captive, Lycos takes advantage of Wolverine's proximity to absorb his mutant energy and transform into Sauron, after which he then uses his... his <clears throat> his hypnotic powers to stop the other Avengers. Unexpectedly, due to Wolverine's mutant energies, he is then, yeah, I guess we could say resurrected uh, as, as he recovers from the bullet wound to the head. Um, and he attacks with a previously unseen fire-breathing ability, but is quickly dispatched by the Avengers until the mutant energies, which allow him to turn into Sauron, fade, 
and he reverts back into Lycos, at which point he has been returned to S.H.I.E.L.D. custody, which is the appropriate punishment, by the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then Spider-Man and Kazar run into Sauron in New York City. We don't really know the details of what happened, but I will say this. Spider-Man has proven time and again that he is a hero of the people, and Kazar has been an ally of Lycos, and they wouldn't attack Sauron without provocation. So their eyewitness testimony should count for something. Also, there's probably untold millions of dollars worth of damage from an hours-long battle that was fought. The prosecution brings forth another incident in which Tharn was complicit in an attack on a Japanese vessel. He and his compatriots from the Savage Land claim they were on their way to the Mune Island nation of Utopia to seek refuge, but did they have any regard for maritime law traveling without permission in Japanese waters? The Japanese responded within their rights to an unknown vessel that was not responding to hails and then proceeded to provoke them unprovoked. Sorry, and then proceeded to attack them unprovoked. The incident in Astonishing X-Men. There are eyewitness reports that a giant Sauron attacked the X-Men over the air, possibly creating an international incident as this airplane could have been destroyed and you know, landing on people, property, etc. How many of these incidents are necessary before we are willing to put him away for violent crimes? Lastly, the prosecution would like to try the defendant on his involvement with the Hellfire Academy, an institution dedicated to bringing children into a life of villainy and crime. By what legal standing does this quote unquote school even exist? And if it is not a legal entity, then it stands to reason that any children living there must be, have been considered to be abducted as the Institute wouldn't have grounds for custody or guardianship. Case in point, Glob Herman was recruited and kidnapped during a, a, a field trip at a rival school. Other students don't even remember how they got there. As the teacher of science, Sauron's goal was to teach his class how to create weapons of mass destruction, irradi irradiate animals and classmates with cosmic rays to see how they might be affected, and breed a subservient race of mutates. He would also feed on the life force of those under his care as a form of punishment. I move that he should be tried to the maximum penalty, please. In defense, my, car, my client, Carl Lycos, also known as Sauron, is being accused of many crimes. But how many of these are of his own volition? I can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that in at least one incident, Mr. Lycos was not acting of his own accord. In another, we are dealing with a case of mistaken identity. My client is a good man who's only seeking to better his life and that of the world around him. During the Savage Land incident with the Avengers, Lycos didn't engineer the escape himself. He can't be held responsible for the actions of his fellows in the Savage Land. On top of that, he was wrongly imprisoned for being a quote-unquote mutant, like he was just lumped in with the mutants, which obviously the government has a problem with, after he'd been drafted to serve as an agent of Weapon X. After he tries unsuccessfully to escape once the Avengers catch up to him, 
They then remand him back into the custody of Maria Hill, Maria Hill and Shield. Where's the justice? Here is a man who had a crisis of conscience when under the employ of Weapon X and refused to do their bidding. He wasn't a volunteer in the program willing to serve their cause and obey its hierarchy. He was drafted when he, when he wasn't even in his right mind. To make matters worse, he was experimented on without his consent. It appears the Avengers are only interested in avenging their own. We next see Sauron captured by Kazar and Spider-Man. The defense argues, we don't know the circumstances under which this tussle took, took place. For all we know, he was flying around, minding his own business, and they just leapt to conclusions and attacked him. He fought back in self-defense. There's no physical evidence trying Lycos to any crime. When it comes to the Japanese uh, naval incident, the defense maintains that Sauron and his fellows were not acting of their own volition, but were rather under the mental control of one of their own, the mutate known as Worm, when they refused to go along with his plan. Concerning the case in Astonishing X-Men, rumors that Sauron was involved in an attack on the X-Men over international airspace are blatantly false. Once again, a scientist takes it upon themselves to violate my client's body autonomy by taking gene samples, experimenting on them without his knowledge, and creating a clone which was hybridized with a brood, with a brood alien. He cannot be held accountable or responsible by, for whatever actions this creature took. The defense also investigated the Hellfire Academy, and crazy as it sounds, they did have the authority to function as a school. Whether they obtained this legally is another matter, but my client was not involved in the accreditation or founding of this school. As far as he was aware, he was being offered a job at a reputable institution to teach what he loves most, science. If Reed Richards can be considered an upstanding moral citizen after irradiating his own family, why should my client be shamed for trying to recreate this event? As the planet falls into disrepair due to the consequences of global warming, why should my client be considered dangerous because he wants to improve the lot of humanity by turning them into a race of invulnerable gamma spawn beings? My point is there are a lot of assumptions being made about my client's intents, and he only wants to make the world better. Defense rests. Beautiful, beautiful work. Brilliant, wonderful job. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, Miguel. Uh, the uh, I got to take a moment on the character of Vincent Stegron, uh, going to uh, Derek's earlier point. That's his birth name. He had no choice but to become a, a Stegosaurus man when he grew up. And the, the team up of the Stegosaurus man with the Pterodactyl man brings me so much joy every time. <laughs> Dinosaur men are great. Uh, what questions or comments do we have from the jury on this section? Uh, Derek and then Justin. I appreciated the focus on school accreditation uh, law and uh, visa paperwork. Uh, just, I think that's a uh, chef's kiss. <laughs> uh, Justin, you're on mute. Yes, it. Uh, I want to be lenient on him because I really enjoyed New Avengers and that would not have happened if he had not let out all of those supervillains. So uh, I'm giving him that pass. I, I also think that um, the the school is conflicting because yes, that that is his passion, that it is that is his calling, but he knows that what he's spreading is is negativity. He's science. What, what was it? Subservience. What's the class? Subservience through science. Subservience through science. I mean, that's 
that's his specialty. So you gotta you gotta love what you do. You never work a day in your life. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm so I'm so torn on it. I I am the the Lycos and the Sauron fighting for who's in the right because I feel like he has he has gifts and he wants to share them with the world, but at the same time they're terrible, terrible gifts that we want to return immediately. Um, yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of the section where he's clearly not in control. There's the worm section. There's the Kega section. Uh, the Hellfire Academy is just fun. Wolverine and the X-Men is such a fun series. I, I kind of wish it were still running. I really enjoyed that book. I, I, I'm i kind of angry about Toad getting to be the one to knock Sauron out during that fight. Like, because <laughs> there's a history there. We need to, we need to talk about. Uh, do we have any other questions or comments on this section before we vote? Okay, let's go with Derek first. So I feel we're being too conservative with experimental pedagogical methods, like Professor X, Magneto, and I'm a Frost were all lauded for trying new educational philosophies with their students. And so, yeah, I'm not sure that I'm really feeling that prosecution was leaning on something solid there. Um, I'm about a three. Fair. Uh, Ray. Uh, you made really good points on the fence. I don't. Uh, it's really hard. Like, <laughs> it, it's a three because of the children. <laughs> I mean, he, he tortured them too a little bit. I'm, I'm gonna go with the three. Uh, Noel. Same thing. Three for the children. Uh, Justin. Yeah, it's a three for me as well. I just I keep on teetering back and forth, but <sighs> science for subjugation. <laughs> I'm going to go straight through here as well. And finally, Miguel. Miguel, what's your vote? I am going to go with a four. Definitely into criminal behavior. With the children. I mean, yes. The other things we could justify. Um, but I mean, poor Yelena Belova, but it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That takes I mean, she's not sympathetic at that point. Well, and this is the weird bear, like era where Brian Michael Bendis turned her into an adaptoid after that. Yes. If you, yeah, if you want to go back and read her history, that's what notes. The the other thing is in the movie, she wasn't scarred. And so this lends credence to my theory that maybe it was all hypnotic and that she believed she was burned. And Multiverse, not the same universe. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right, that takes us to trial point five. We're going to call this section reptilian age. This will close us out. Uh, the jury member assigned here is my friend Justin Wilder. Sauron again teamed up with Stegron, making plans to declare a new age for reptiles to rule the Earth. They attacked a museum to gain dinosaur DNA, where they captured a group of X-Men students, including Ernst, Eyeboy, Glob, Hellion, Rockslide, and Shark Girl, who were there with Spider-Man, who was their teacher at the time. Claiming Staten Island as the new savage land, Sauron and Stegron begin changing people into dinosaurs, including Glob Herman. And yes, there is a Glob Herman dinosaur form out there. Spider-Man challenges Sauron, saying that he could cure cancer if he chose to, but Sauron just wants to turn people into dinosaurs. Respect. Uh, Sauron developed a crush on Shark Girl, who technically was a teenager, uh, but she also flirted with Stegron, and then she caused the two dinosaur men to turn on each other, which was brilliant. Later, Sauron teamed up with a bizarre crew of villains, including Bonebreaker, Grey Gargoyle, Scorpion, Razorback, and Whirlwind, but they were swiftly defeated by Rocket Raccoon and Groot. <laughs> yes, that's another story. Sauron established a base in Cambodia, 
keeping humans and mutants there under hypnosis so he could feed on them until Psylocke defeated him with her psychic knife. Sauron then returned to the Savage Land and hypnotized the Savage Land mutate, so he's the one in control now, into helping him seize power. But the character Lupa, who had a cosmic cube fragment, it's a whole story, along with Vertigo and Whiteout, uh, turned against him and overthrew him. There's a group called the Underground. This was the group of Avengers who were rebelling against the Hydra government during that Secret Empire series. Uh, they attacked and they fought Sauron before he ended up allying with them to fight back against the Mutates. It's a bizarre story. Uh, Sauron uh, constantly boasted and burned a village of civilians before he turned on his allies again, and then he was soon defeated. Uh, Lycos hoped to find a cure for himself as Sauron, and he took a job in Nevada working as a research assistant for a man named Dr. Sheldon Sanders. But his true identity was exposed by the spider sense of Ben Riley, the clone of Peter Parker, who is the Scarlet Spider. Sauron, uh, he, he changed to Sauron. Sauron mortally wounded Sanders, uh, excuse me, uh, the scientist Sanders in the fight, then disappeared when Scarlet Spider blew up the building. God, that's a lot of S's in that section. <laughs> uh, finally, Spider-Man, or excuse me, Sauron was playing cards with Hairbag and Pyro. God, what a wild combination. Uh, when an undead William Stryker captured them and then mind controlled them into fighting a group little known called a Weapon X Force, uh, Sauron was soon freed and then helped defeat Stryker. Sauron was then experimenting on animals when an oil spill ruined his experiments. He found the new X-Men Green Team, including Nature Girl, Curse, and Sersha the Dog, engaged in a conflict with Black Mamba and her armed men, and Sauron demonstrated his new telekinesis power in the fight with them. He ripped people's arms off, flirted with Black Mamba, who can blame him, and battled Wolverine before deciding to join X-Men Green after Curse wished for him to have a quote-unquote change of heart. And she has like bad luck powers that control people's fates. Uh, when, with X-Men Green, Sauron hunted down whale poachers and fed them to Giganto the monster. He battled the Submariner. He fought the Black Panther while going after more poachers. Then they met the group of old lady scientists called Horticulture, who we love. Uh, they killed oil workers. He then killed several Americops uh, while they were recruiting the dangerous mutant Armageddon Man. Sauron ended up badly, badly wounded when he fought Nature Girl, and Curse admitted that her wishes were getting out of control. Uh, during these battles, Sauron hated being called Sori, and he expressed a weird disdain toward birds because he considered them traitors to dinosaurs, so there's just some fun notes for you. Uh, the key issues in this section are Spider-Man and the X-Men 1 and 2, Groot, number six, Uncanny X-Men Volume 4, number 15, Secret Empire Underground, number one, Ben Riley, Scarlet Spider, number 21, Weapon X Volume 3, numbers 24 and 25, and then finally the X-Men Green Collection, which you can find in a couple of printed issues called X-Men Unlimited, X-Men Green, and as, uh, as well as the Marvel app under X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comics, uh, 29 through 33 and 44 through 49. God, that's a lot of numbers. <laughs> Let me turn it over to uh, Justin Wilder. Esteemed members of the jury, I am going to present to you the de defense first my client Sauron, primarily just because there's a lot of murder and it's hard to not prosecute him. So I figured I'd give myself an easy way in. Sauron, wow, what a leader, what a guy. Uh, and Spider-Man and the X-Men, he unites people. 
who share a common backstory, working with those who look like animal hybrids and building their own place in the world. Yeah, it might cost us Staten Island, but apparently that's not bad. Uh, people seem awfully cool with it. Plus, it gives us the single best Sauron panel ever made as he rejects Spidey's idea to cure cancer instead of changing people into dinosaurs. No, Sauron wants to turn people into dinosaurs. He is a man with a vision and a mission, and we should not tell him that he is wrong. In Groot, he might have been keeping bad company, sure, but he isn't doing anything wrong. Is this a crime by association? I feel like... There's no, there's nothing here to pin on him. He's just hanging out. Okay, yes, he does hypnotize a commune while simultaneously feeding on them, but at least they found a higher purpose. They, they feel like they're contributing to this, this world that their benevolent dictator is, is giving them. Even Psylocke compliments Sauron and says that he could be a recruit put to a good use. Wow, what a, what a good compliment from a hero. You know, speaking about heroes, did you know that Sauron was basically an Avenger at one time? He teamed up with a team of Avengers, an ally. They considered him one of their own. He members in the Savage Land, so he's got to have some redeeming qualities if they trust him, even if it is out of threatened necessity for a larger puzzle that they needed to solve. The fact that he puts Quicksilver in his place should knock at least one point over whatever number you're considering right now. Plus, we get reminded that he breathes fire, and that's badass. Come on, if he wasn't as cool as he could ever be before, he now is a fire-breathing dinosaur man. I mean, it does get worse. It continues to get worse as he murders someone, but isn't there something to be said for his pursuits to soothe his tormented soul? He's trying to find a, a cure to rid himself of his mad affliction. Sauron was just minding his own business one day, playing cards with a group of friends, trying to live a normal life, and then all of a sudden he's imprisoned and mind-controlled. Hmm, wait a minute, that sounds kind of familiar. Uh, to take a point of that, he's fed some of his own medicine to try and learn a lesson that he later finds community with mutant friends. He is just working and living in his mountain base, eating a sentient rabbit aside. He's pulled into this fracas in X-Men Green because of destruction of his property by this oil company. The same oil company that hired people who are now fighting and trying to kill children. Who's the bad guy here? Sauron helps these kids, and it's the stuff of heroes. He's embracing their cause. Nature Girl and Curse trying to save our planet from certain doom. And man, is he getting some great character development at the same time. He hates birds. He seems to also hate Canadians as he is very upset by her saying sorry. And, uh, you know, he, he actually has something that a cause that he embraces outside of his own. Uh, it's not, it's not great that he's just on a joy filled murder spree, but damn it, he's having fun and I don't want to stop him. The defense rests and I, I yield the rest of my time to the prosecution and I, I pray for the best. As the prosecution takes a stand, um, this man before you, this dinosaur man, is he even a man? What rights does he have? He captures innocent students on a field trip, a, a field trip of knowledge and learning, with the intent of turning them into dinosaurs against their will, endangering civilians all around the museum. 
He has transformed the people of Staten Island into dinosaurs against their will. He is incapable of sharing leadership or planning responsibilities with Stegron, basically reducing him to his minion while insulting his way of speech. All those S's? Man's just got a lisp. What a jerk, Sauron. These are all villains known for their evil villainy, and he's up to something. They're doing bad things. He's manipulating a bunch of people to fuel his god complex with the commune, and he tries to do the same to Betsy when she goes to save them. She's trying to be the good person, and he is just all about control, manipulation, and achieving what he wants in this life. His methods and intention are no way honorable. Burn a village of innocent people so that he can regain control of the savage land. You know, the, the savage land, it, it really is that kill or be killed. And I don't see how we could not prosecute him for attacking all of these innocent people who are not even trying to be a threat to him. Light my allies on fire, he says. The reveal of his having used and then enslaved or imprisoned everyone in this area of the Savage Land is one of the more damning offenses and uh, thus far should acknowledge where I stopped actually considering considering a defense argument on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) He takes it up a notch further though, murder. He murders this scientist in pursuit of his own goals. Later, he teams up with some mutants, a good majority of them known criminals, but then once he has the opportunity to escape from Stryker's threats, he runs away. He's a deserter, a murderer. He's not a good guy. His actions with X-Men Green help fuel the rage and destruction of two hell-bent miners who, yes, are aware of a problem facing our world and, and natural resources, but are going after it in very misguided ways. And they're now fueled by a pterodactyl man villain. Sauron flat out says to Black Panther, I am not your friend and murder is an excellent answer. How can we not damn him for this? He continues to unleash destruction, lighting up crews with his fire breath on oil rigs set to explode, capturing people out of the sky and cooking them in fire. It's amazing. And he straight up says, we're here to slaughter human scientists. He has expressed his intense and should be held accountable for them. Thank you. Beautifully done. This is an era of Sauron comics that are largely fun. You don't think to look for him in Groot or Scarlet Spider, but uh, he's he's really fun in this section of history. Uh, what questions or comments do we have from the jury here? Derek? So I, I get that Sauron is a monster. Um, how much is Lycos culpable in the metaphor of the drunk driver thing to your mind, uh, Mr. Prosecution? Lycos is nowhere to be seen. Lycos is has left the building. So I, I, I pin this entirely on Sauron. And with the, that's with the, ex- the person. Hmm? Oh, as I say, with the exception of the Scarlet Spider story, where you briefly see him uh, uh, trying to cure himself, it's a weird reflection of the beginning of this trial where Lycos was mostly in control and it would ca- occasionally lose it to Sauron. Now Sauron's mostly in control with Lycos popping up once in a while. Uh, but sorry to interrupt, Justin. Go ahead. No, you're good. Um, yeah, I, I feel like he is, he has handed over every bit of control to Sauron and, and Sauron is just running wild with it. So we're no longer in a Jekyll and Hyde scenario. We're just trying Hyde. Yes. Okay. Other questions or comments on this section? 
these comics are delightful. Largely, everyone that we just mentioned are really just fun, campy. It's just, Sauron is, he's found himself. (laughs) As a dinosaur man, he is very happy in his skin for the most part, just wanting to change the world into dinosaurs. Uh, It's really, it's really lovely, actually. All of these comics are fun. Uh, Any final comments before we vote? Okay, let's go with Miguel first. I will go with a five. I am also going to vote five simply because that's what Sauron wants me to do. From the very beginning, he has proclaimed he wants to be seen as evil. I think anything else would hurt his feelings. Derek. He did his ultimate evolution. Yes. (laughs) He's really found himself. So the defense counsel was mostly persuasive, and I briefly thought, can we prosecute the oil company? But then the prosecution made its case. And I feel that my policy on turning people into dinosaurs against their will is like I'm sort of against that. And burning villages and hitting on a teenager are also things that I'm pretty much against. So I'm going to go with a five. Ray? I'm going to go with the five. There's a teenager. There's the burning. There's the admission of guilt. Like he's, he's proclaiming it. He's owning it. He's telling it to the world. He's manifesting. <laughs> so yeah, five. Uh, Noel. It hit a five for me uh, with the teenager and then never got better. So I'm going to go five. And then finally, Justin. I mean, it, it's been a five in my heart the entire time I was reading. I wanted to take a point <laughs> off just because he really, that slam on Quicksilver was chef's kiss but uh no this man's pure evil and he loves it and i love him for it fantastic that gives us a 30 out of 30 in this section that's a full score of 101 out of 120 possible which gives a sauron a full asshole scale of 67 percent not the highest not the lowest one of the reasons i like this villain uh as we're summing up our thoughts there's a lot of ways to do comic book villains. I don't like rapey villains. The Mesmero mind control stuff is really uncomfortable. Villains with a cause like Magneto are wonderful. Uh, Sabretooth is a really fun villain to watch on paper, but the whole like murder and <laughs> rape and torture of things is not really fun to read. Sauron is so fun to read. He's just a villain that's nonsense and wonderful. And that's what I love about this character so much and all of his potential. His stories by and large, are just delightful to read. This was a fun character to visit. Uh, As we are wrapping up our thoughts and doing our outros, uh, let me have each of you tell us where we can find you online. We're putting this episode out the fourth Thursday in March. If you have anything you would like to plug, time it for around then. And my final question as we're going out is just, what do you love about Sauron? Or what did you learn today that's going to stick with you uh, as we're we're finishing up? Uh, Let's go with Derek Kinskin first. So uh, I can be found at uh, Twitter or uh, web at Derek Kunskin, D-E-R-E-K-K-U-N-S-K-E-N. I think uh, this trial has made me appreciate more the lighter side of of Sauron because I was was very much a Bronze Age reader before. And so, you know, like I said, they they played Sauron straight up. And so seeing the, the funner ways you can take him is cool. Um, As far as plugging things, uh, I just finished edits on my latest novel. It'll be out in August. It's going to be called The House of Saints. Uh, It's the second and concluding novel in my sci-fi crime family saga duology set in the clouds of Venus. Um, And if people can't wait for that, I also have a new collection of short stories that came out in December called uh, Flight from the Ages and Other Stories. 
And so I'm, I'm proud of both of those things and uh, happy that they're going to be out in the world by August. Uh, so yeah, thanks. Derek's a phenomenal writer. Please read his books. He is an incredible world builder, really high concept, incredible, lovely work. Uh, your sci-fi is amazing. So I'm so happy for you, my friend. Uh, let's go over to Ray next. Well, Ray, let's see. You can find Ray all over the place, but always Raise Your Studios. There's a uh, Raise Your Studios on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And all that I'm doing is usually on display there. Like whatever's going on, whatever's updating, you'll be able to see all the latest news on what I'm doing right, right up on there. And uh, as far as Sauron goes and what I've learned and all that, I think that, you know, there was, I did skip a part where there is some romance involved in the Savage Land. Uh, Jubilee did such an awesome job writing pterodactyls that she was given a bride and that that should have been documented they should have shown that the wedding I mean, they couldn't they couldn't figure out her gender so <laughs> that, that was that was great but uh you guys are all fantastic i really had a great time doing this i'm so glad you joined us yeah and check out rage gear check out ray uh their art is incredible they've done a piece on my wall i i, I adore your art and it's great Thank to you. see you again uh let's go over to uh noelle next yeah, um, you can find me at L Unraveled on Twitter or X Men Unraveled pretty much anywhere. Um, I'll have new episodes out soon. Uh, as soon as I can get my shit together, really, is where things are right now. But uh, outlines are in progress. As three of us can tell you, running a podcast is no joke. It requires a lot of time and a lot of effort. And Noel, you do a great job, uh, as well as Justin. Let's go to Justin next. We, of course, miss Alicia today. Give her our love. She, I just heard her. She just got home. But um, you can find both of us all over the internet at the Ex Wife Podcast. That's T H E X W I F E Podcast, like X Men, not former wife. We have shows every week on Friday, usually talking about that week's new current comics and asking questions, engaging with our community about their thoughts on what's going on in Krakoa uh, in this time frame. We will likely be wrapping up year 1000 of The Sins of Sinister and heading into the finale of that event. And on a personal side, I only say this because we, we brought up Angel from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I will be performing in Buffy the Improvised Vampire Slayer show as uh, Xander uh, at a run of shows in Kismet Improv in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. So if you're in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, come check us out. Um, I love Sauron. I will never not love Sauron. He's a crazy vampire dinosaur man and just the fact that he embraces how fully he is a villain makes him that much more lovable you know we need bad guys and he embraces it phenomenal thank you my friend uh and then miguel you can find me at uh, comics guy 78 that's comics c-o-m-i-x-g-u-y 78 uh on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, I think my quote unquote claim to fame, which I only is known between like two or three people, is uh, that I have uh, taken the time to figure out the X-Men's ages throughout the eras. Uh, and so if you go to my Twitter, you can see um, like year one, year two, and how old the characters were during those time frames. Um, as far as Sauron, uh, yeah, I, I think I still feel 
as strongly about him as I did before. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm just not a villain person. I am, I'm a superhero person. And so, you know, villains, it takes a lot for me to, to care about villains. Fully understood. It's great to meet you. I, I have, uh, I'm still getting to know Ray. Ray, you're wonderful. Miguel, it's great to meet you. I spend a significant amount of time with Derek, Noel, Justin, Alicia, and I consider you all friends. This has been delightful to just hang out with you all this afternoon. I had such a lovely time. I'd be smiling for hours. What I'm taking from this trial more than anything is why I love Soran as much as I do. I've said from the beginning on my show, he's my favorite villain, but really uh, boiling it down and doing the research and taking time to, to understand who this character is and what some of their potential is. Uh, he's he's a really lovely character. This is uh, this has been one of my favorite shows to record. Thank you all. Uh, my name is Chad Anderson. I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos. But you can find my podcast on Greymalk and PP like podcast on Twitter, Greymalk and underscore land on Instagram. We're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. We've got t-shirts out there. We've got daily costume or daily battles on Instagram, which is super fun. Uh, the show is currently booked into the end of June. And I just had someone contact me and say, I'd love to come on the show. And I'm like, my next opening is in like mid-July, which is insane. Uh, it's really fun to see the show expanding. And we have so many really genuinely exciting things coming up uh, your way, in, in, including guests and reviews. Uh, as well as everything that's happening on our Patreon channel. If you are enjoying the podcast, please, please head over to the Patreon. The best way you can show support by telling other people about the show, but also signing up. It's only $3 a month, and we're putting out four additional really quality, amazing episodes. If you listen to any of them on the main channel, you'll get continued uh, quality content on the Patreon as well. Around the time we release this show, our next episode is going to be uh, the first part of the 1970. A Jerry Siegel written Angel series, which is a weird and little known uh, storyline. Uh, we're going to be telling the Angel story from Kazar number two. And my guest that day is uh, Connor Goldsmith, who is uh, a friend of the show, uh, the head of Cerebro. And uh, in it, we talk about how I will be making an appearance on Cerebro in the next few months, which I'm very, very excited about. Uh, the Patreon episode we'll be releasing right around this time is on uh, March 29th is uh, the character uh, Crimson Commando, who Jay and Miles uh, affectionately call the Murder Grandpa. My <laughs> guest on that episode is uh, the incredible uh, Steve Orlando. So we have some really fun things coming your way. Thank you everybody for tuning in. I always announce at the end of the show who's on trial for the next month. Uh, we're gonna continue our Savage Land theme for one more month and go with the character Craven the Hunter, which I think is gonna surprise some people because he's mostly a Spider-Man guy, but he has fought the X-Men a surprising number of times. Uh, so it seemed relevant to put him on trial. He also has a mutant child, which is a little known fact. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that next month. Thank you everybody for tuning in. I had a lovely time. Uh, we'll see you back here next time on Greenwalk and Lane. Thank you for listening to Greymalk and Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Greymalk and Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane.